Hey, Ron Nine, how you doing, buddy? Hi, good, Glenn. Good to see you. It's Likewise, it's been what four, or five, three years, four years, something like that. Oh gosh, yeah, probably at least that. Yeah, it, well, it was. Yeah, no, no, November of two thousand seventeen is when it was. Mm-hmm. I think wow. the last time. Um. Anyway, so lots has happened since then. So, um, first of all, for for people who don't actually know who you are, which you know, idiots, but if they don't know who you are, um, I'll give a very brief summary and then you know just jump in, right? If you, you sure. know, as you feel, um, so the first, at least in media, that thing that you did was um, Room Nine, right? Yeah, and that kind of lasted for for a fairly long time, if. if you know, if my sources are correct, at least. Yeah, I mean, it started off just me trying to talk some friends into picking up some instruments so I didn't have to play alone. And then, uh, you know, we started just working out covers for ourselves and we got some gigs and we started working on originals and then we got playing. We were playing like almost every weekend for a long, through most of the 80s, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I let's see. I'm trying to remember. I think it was '85 when I moved here, and it took me a while to to get into you know Seattle music and whatnot and what was going on. Um, but I think I first heard was it Voices of a Summer Day. That's the name yeah. of the album, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a friend of mine had just randomly got it somewhere, maybe a friend of a friend through the band or whatever, right? And uh, I remember listening to it and thinking, well, that's not Seattle, <laughs> right? I mean, like, it, it it didn't sound like you guys from Seattle in any way, shape, or form, right? Um, yet, you know, at least yourself and, and uh, Scott Vanderpool kind of went on to basically, you know, create the Seattle sound, right? But yet you had this band that, that didn't sound that way at all. No, uh, we were, gosh, you know, I in my mind, I was really into... Uh, 60s late 60s psychedelic music mm-hmm. especially from la the doors and and from san francisco jefferson airplane and that's kind of where my head was at and scott bogan who uh, also we did sang half the songs maybe a little over half mm-hmm. um he he was always up on the new tech and so mm-hmm. he got a uh what is it, a DX7, you know, the 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 synthesizer of the 80s. And mm-hmm. uh, it kind of took a lot of songs in that direction. Um, so it kind of, uh, it, it, it had a little bit of like old psychedelic mixed with kind of a newer sound, like right. the 80s sound, I'll say. Yeah, um, I remember playing it for uh, somebody in my high school and then them saying, Oh, it sounds like Duran Duran, which which I don't think oh. it sounds like that at all. But um, I, I think it was you know the 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 drum effects and you know the synthesizer and whatnot. You know. Yeah. Well, um, you know that may have been just the, his best uh, thing that he could compare it to, and so that's I, I'll take that as a compliment. Oh hell yeah! No, no, no absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, 
And it's funny, I was telling a, a, a guest a couple of weeks ago that the first band that I was exposed to in Seattle was um, uh, Variant Cause. Mm. And I, you know, for quite some time, I thought, oh, this is what Seattle bands sound like. I had no idea, you know. Um, it was only, you know, maybe a year later that I started to, you know, actually get into to what was being released here, you know. Um, and at that point, it was, for me, it was primarily the metal bands, which nobody talks about. Yeah. Well, you know, it was definitely that, you know, especially when you look at the beginnings of grunge, um, you know, there was definitely a, a metal influence that those guys really wore on their sleeve. Absolutely. Um, things like Soundgarden and uh, Skin Yard. Um, and, you know, gosh, I was talking to Daniel House just a while back because he's putting together a, a history of Skin Yard. And uh, mm. I, I just remember they were like one of the first bands to ever release a record of their own that actually sounded really good. And that of course <laughs> right. had, had to do with Jack and Dino being in the band, mm -hmm. you know, and of course he would go on to record all the sub pop stuff that right. was so seminal. Did Jack recorded, I know he recorded your first album, right? The, the oh, first Love Battery, I'm sorry. Love Battery. Yeah. Well, it, the first EP, uh, and then, yeah, what happened is the first EP was uh, kind of hodgepodge together. It don't really only, officially it only came out in Tupelo Records, which was out of Australia or something. And mm -hmm. um, then Sub Pop re-released it with some extra stuff. And uh, yeah, we recorded, so part of it was recorded in, uh, at the time, Triangle Studios with Jack. Right. And then they went 16 track and part of it was recorded in Triangle with Jack and Steve Fisk. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on the, you know, on the sub pop release, we added some songs that were older from the uh, sessions we did for Dayglow, which was recorded at Egg Studios. Right. That's so much fun, man. Like it, I, I still like when I drive by that building that was Triangle. Um, I don't know, it's kind of shivers, man. Like, I mean, it, it's a shitty little building, you know, in kind of a shitty part of town. Yeah, but so much magic happened. What's that? It used to be a lot shittier, too. <laughs> right. part of town, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I love I love some of the pictures from like the, you know, the, the early 80, early to mid 80s, I guess, um, where the soundboard basically takes up the entire width of the, the entire building, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. only like eight feet wide right there. You know, it's like, okay. Um, I'm sure there were a lot of, of uh, you know, recording sessions in there where, where it's like, you've had two beers, stay away from the, the mixing board, right? Because you, you had to kind of like angle yourself around it to get into the sound booth, right? Um, yeah, so that's that's all fascinating stuff. Um, but anyway, we, we were talking about you and your, you know, your, your bio, right? So we got as far as Room 9. Um, then... The next thing that, that that you know the world knows about you is is suddenly Love Battery, which was decidedly different 
from room nine. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, um, I, 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 I just started listening more to what was out there and going to shows. I, you know, it was a natural progression where I started to be influenced by the local scene a lot more than I had before. In room nine, we were kind of insular because uh, I think we played so many shows. We really didn't go to other local bands shows unless we played with them, you know? But there was a time there from the mid eighties on when I was, I was going out like three, four nights a week just to see music. And, uh, it, it, you know, I, I, I was influenced a lot by, you know, the bands I saw at the Vogue and mm-hmm. the Rainbow and, uh, and, and also I, I was, I started working at Muzak. Bruce Pavitt got me a job there and I started being buds with, uh, like Mark Arm and Chris Pugh and Grant from the Walkabouts and Tad and uh, boy, there was a bunch of other musicians I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, I it was it, we'd be in, we'd had the crappiest job in there, and so <laughs> it, it was called cart cleaning, and we had these little orbital sanders, and we had to uh, clean these uh, really grungy pieces of plastic that were that made these giant uh eight track tapes the nab cartridges that they right. used back then and they we, we'd recycle them and get them all clean again and we'd always crank the tunes in that little room mm-hmm. and uh so i started getting really influenced by what the other guys were putting on the boom box at the time mm-hmm. a lot of butthole surfers and uh oh <laughs> who was uh what was the name of that one band it was uh killdozer oh killed yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know it, it was uh it, it was a it was a different education for me but i found myself being influenced by that and of course you know bruce uh when he started the singles club he said hey ron if you want uh if you record a single, I'll put it out. And I said, "Fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll do that." I'll, uh, and at that at that time, it was just at the point where Room Nine we had kind of it took forever for us to to make that record. I think it was almost four years because all we did was play gigs, wow. put all the money into the record, and we had this guy who was going to um, release it. He kind of, you know. He was he was it was a fledgling label out of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So the more, and he released it. You know, really didn't get much fanfare, and um, then he was going to pay for our second album, and we actually went up to Vancouver to record in a really nice studio and use the the guy who was producing skinny puppy and all these people <laughs> excellent and, uh we we got quite a bill up but we didn't finish the ep we still had a little more recording to do and apparently he didn't like the direction it was going he pulled the plug on the whole thing and oh. didn't even pay the studio what he owed him and uh we were just really we were we had we had already been courted by several record companies before that. Um, 
A&M came up to see us and the guy who came up to see us also came to see Soundgarden and eventually signed them. Mm -hmm. uh, Enigma Records, which was... Uh, I love Enigma. Yeah. Enigma. One of my favorite record labels of all time. Yeah, they're... they're, they're uh, I remember loving the Rain Parade, you know, and they were on Enigma. And so I was excited mm -hmm. about that. And then the guy, the A&R guy who wanted to sign us to Enigma... Uh, well, actually, I'll start off. He gave us a contract for Enigma, and uh, one of uh, our friend's dad was a lawyer, and he looked at it, he goes, you might as well just paper your bathroom with this thing, contract, <laughs> because it was just went on forever, you know, and uh, it, it was just, uh, it just seemed like every type thing they were trying to take advantage of and own everything, you know, own the band, you know. Right. Um, anyway, the A&R guy who gave us that contract from Enigma went on to work for Electra, and he's going, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll get you on the Doors label, you know, and that <laughs> fell through. I mean, we were all, we were, we had been through the ringer, you know, and we were pretty young, uh, you know, we were just getting into our mid-20s, and, uh, it was it was really discouraging. We, we had really high hopes, and then we got dashed on the rocks. So when this new opportunity came along, uh, I had already been jamming with other people. My friends worked mm -hmm. at Muzak, and uh, when this new opportunity came along, I go, "Okay, I'm going to put together a new band." Because I had about five songs that I had written after Room Nine. Well, they were going to originally. They were going to be Room Nine songs. Mm -hmm. and of course, they wouldn't have sounded the same. You know, like Between the Eyes. I think I wrote while I was still in Room Nine. But um, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, and, that makes uh, sense. But um, so anyway, I was I started jamming with other musicians and. Uh, I got in with Jason Finn, who used to play with Skinyard, and mm -hmm. he goes, well, as a matter of fact, and he he had been plotting to get a band together, and he had a house just like a block away from where I was living. Mm -hmm. He had Tommy Bonehead living there who played bass, and Kevin Whitworth who played guitar, and that was Love Battery. I used to mm -hmm. literally roll my amp down the street on Saturdays, and and go in there and start playing in their living room and uh they would start f coming down the stairs all bleary-eyed and hung over and we would rock out there so actually here's an interesting topic to get into um you've been clean for for a number of years now right yeah so um you know that that's it's one of those um unfortunately like glorified things about you know seattle folklore and whatnot is you know um the drug use and whatnot um but so you went through all of that and now you know i mean first of all you you look fucking great dude so <laughs> thanks you know um you you had that um <clears throat> last time i saw you had that uh what's the guy's name uh, is it crispin glover yeah crispin glover right you kind of had that that crispin hair Crispin Glover look to you, um, but you know now now you look like you just walked into a Fortune 500 boardroom, man. You look great. No, thank um, you. Not that you didn't look great before, mind you, but um, totally different, you know, persona. 
Um, well, anyway. I'm a lot happier. Uh, you know, drug being addicted to drugs is a pretty heavy burden, <laughs> right? Financially, mentally, the whole deal. And, uh, you know, getting uh, sober and clean. Um, I've been doing it on and off for, for gosh, the last 20 years. And uh, so it was quite a relief to finally uh, be sober. And, you know, I, I actually, the last time I used drugs was over six years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just felt really good to, um, you know, not be tied down by that. No, absolutely. You know, like I, I, um, my early twenties were tumultuous to say the least, right. In regards to that stuff. Um, and then I guess I kind of got lucky because I just, one morning I woke up and I was like, fuck this. Right. And just stopped. Um, and then when I got into my early forties, I guess, um, I was like, well, it's been 20 some years, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's give it a shot and see how it goes. Um, you know, so I, I partake of certain things from time to time. Um, but the difference is, um, you know, like if, if I, if I buy like an eight ball of blow, it lasts me for two months, right? Where it usually lasts me 20 minutes. Yeah. So it's like, eh, I've got this thing and I may want some at some point, you know, whatever. Um, and the last time I, I bought something like that, I actually ended up throwing it away. <laughs> so it's like, actually, wow. it's just been sitting here, you know, like. Good for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was not possible for me. <laughs> well, and, and that's the case for most people, right? Like I, yeah. I consider myself very lucky. Um, you know, although, you know, I do like my booze and that that's one thing that, you know, I, I can't imagine not doing. Um, cause I think at least to myself, it's, it's somewhat controllable, right? Like, I mean, somewhat I, what controllable. Oh, right. And, and the reason behind that is that, <clears throat> I know for certain when I buy a bottle of booze, how much is in that and what the general effects are going to be on me. Um, whereas, you know, God, I mean, I'm, it's, it's terrifying what may or may not be in, you know, any sort of powder drug anyone gets or pills or whatever yeah. nowadays. Um, well, just wait till they're legal. I mean, just like the weed now, you know what you're getting every time. And, uh, who knows? It's just a matter of time between before coke and heroin probably is legal. And I say a matter of time, maybe 50 years, I'll probably be dead. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I can't remember how many times I needed to get well. And I bought, you know, a little baggie of dope that um, was just like shoe polish or something, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was always an, an upper guy. I was one of those weird people that heroin didn't do shit for me. Mm. Right. I mean, well, I'm sorry. It did. It made my head feel gigantic and my body feel tiny and <laughs> like I wanted to fall down. Um, but I don't, I don't tend to like the downers. Right. I just, so, you know, did it a couple of times and was like, nah, not my thing. Right. But I totally get it. Why, why it would be somebody's thing, yeah. you know? Um, so, Anyway, I'm sorry. I was going down a pathway. My, my drug of choice was, you know, uppers of any kind. And um, one night I desperate 
you know, like, oh, I, I feel bad, you know, I need to buy some. And I, I went out and I bought the the grossest orange colored meth you can possibly imagine. <laughs> and, you know, and I was desperate. So I spent like, you know, and this is early 90s. So I spent like $40 for, for a quarter, which was like ridiculously high. But I was like, no, I just need it. And I stayed up all night and I did the quarter. And literally I would like do a line and go and throw up. Oh, and wow. I did that for like eight hours, just like do a line, throw up, do a line, throw up. And the next morning I woke up, well, morning, whatever, 24 hours later, whatever. So I, I you know, kind of wake up and I couldn't move at all. Like, I mean, I was, I was out. Wow. Um, and my girlfriend at the time who became my first wife, totally innocent, shows up. She had no idea, you know, I was doing what I was doing. Um, and she forced me to get up. I just told her I had the flu or whatever, you know, you know, the drill, <laughs> you know, yeah. oh, I have the flu. I don't feel good. Um, and she forced me to walk. I lived up on, on, uh, in the CD at the time. And she forced me to walk down to, um, someplace on 15th, um, and eat food, which I was like, no, 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 no food, but she made me right. So I, I sat there and just, you know, ate an entire plate of lasagna. I was like. That's it. What was the last time I did it? <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> you know. Anyway, I mean, oh, good. I uh, yeah, it. Uh, that was my experience every time I got drugs. I, whether I threw up or not, I needed more. You know, mm -hmm. and and if I didn't pass out, and and I I got that way with alcohol too, especially on tour. I had to drink enough to pass out, mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, yeah, it just, uh, anyway, I, I'll i tell you this last year, though, I'm really glad I don't do anything. It's, it's, oh, been, yeah. it's been a real uh, ringer, uh, not only the COVID thing, but, you know, I was taking care of my mom for the longest time mm -hmm. after my sister died, and then she died, literally. Oh, I'm sorry, not, Ron. Oh, uh, well, that's I'm okay. Sorry. I didn't know that. Yeah, last April, and literally... The month before, my girlfriend Katie got diagnosed with a brain tumor. Oh my God. So she goes in and has a brain tumor removed. And two weeks later, my mom dies. Oh my God. Wow. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for, I, I, I'm really lucky because uh, I've been quite in, evolved, involved in AA and I've found a real great support group there. That's excellent. And, uh, you know, it was really. You, um, I, I hate to say it, but it was almost a breeze getting through it compared mm -hmm. to what a what would have happened if I was still drinking or oh, using yeah. or even smoking weed. Right. You know? um, so, you know, it 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 all the uh, go, getting into a and doing the steps is really a great mental cleansing mm -hmm. of the mind uh, you have you're forced to uh it's just like mindfulness in buddhism you're forced to take a look at your thinking you know right and uh i i've learned a lot about myself and i've learned how to let stuff go that i can't control right and uh boy you know it used to be politics bothered me so much <laughs> especially but, the last four years you know that's the thing um 
Trump, I was able to just take it with a grain of salt because I know things are going to change. And, uh, you know, whatever happens usually ends up there's a reason, you know, if we thought racism was over, but Trump proved that, no, it's still we still got a long ways to go. And, um, you know, those things became exposed to the light of day. They had they wouldn't have been, you know, Mm -hmm. if Hillary Clinton won. Uh, it would have been a far different ball game. And, you know, I hate to think of it. If Trump had actually handled the COVID thing, he'd probably be president again. Without a doubt. You know, which is terrifying. But yeah, without it a is doubt. terrifying. But it, it just proved how inept he was. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future politically, which I haven't for a while, for 40 years. Agreed. Agreed. Like, I have to agree, I, or I have to admit, I was um, quite teary-eyed this morning, you know, uh-huh. watching the whole thing unfold. Um, and that's not something I've, I've ever felt about politics before. You know? Well, you know, seeing Biden actually walk to the White House. Right, right, right. <laughs> and not, not uh, take the take the uh, the official car everywhere he goes and doesn't even step out of the car waves right yeah you know biden was fist bumping people along the the route um from the from the inauguration to the white house mm-hmm. uh, you know it was good to see that juxtaposition of uh, the junk food guy and the guy who actually looks like he has the energy to help this country yeah no i i Biden was not my first choice. Actually, Kamala was. So ah. I, I kind of win-win, you know, for me this morning. Um, the thing is, you know, there are some criticisms about Biden that are, are um, I'm going to say, quasi-legitimate, right? I mean, it's not, it, it it's sort of like, you know, making stuff up to make him look very bad, right? Yeah. Um, so I like the guy. I love him to death. And and I actually had some conservative friends of mine ask me, like, how can you support him? Like, you know, he bumbles and was like, you know, instead of just saying what, what a lot of people say is, well, you know, he has a speech impediment and whatever, because that's not really an excuse when you're the president. Right. Yeah. Um, instead, what I said was, I trust him to put the right people in charge. Yeah. Right. So if, if he's not capable or, or, you know, God forbid he dies or whatever, um, I trust him to put the right people around him that can, you know, weather that. Yeah. Um, I mean, and obviously Trump ran the White House like a mob. He wanted yeah. an, a, a loyalty oath and everybody had to agree with him or they were out the door. And that, right. of course, led to just the the worst uh, malfunctioning government in in recent history. You know, the one thing I'm waiting for um, that we haven't seen at least quite yet is the reaction to Trump like there was a reaction to Reagan like in the early 80s, right? Musically is what I'm I'm specifically talking about. You know, there's been some but it's not it's not like i i remember from from like the early 80s right i mean there was so much anger especially in the music you know about oh Trump. yeah well you know what punk rock was really 
taken America by storm. And so, uh, you know, you had all these local scenes and that was, it was the, uh, you know, people like the dead Kennedys. Right. <laughs> leading the way. I mean, you know, you had the, you had the Ramones who uh, were still, you know, singing about uh, the stuff they always saw, sang about, beat on the brat with a baseball bat and all right. that. Used to have a chuckle listening to that stuff. But the dead Kennedys would go, yeah, fuck Reagan there. Uh, well, so the Ramones had had one very left-leaning song that, that um, well, as you know, Johnny was a total conservative, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but Bonza goes to Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Um, and th there's a whole story about that that's actually, you know, pretty amusing. Um, you know, Johnny's like, I'm not going to play this fucking song, this fucking commie song. Like, <laughs> fuck that. Um, and I, actually, I forget all the details, but basically he was outvoted and they're like, okay, great. So they play the song. Um, but apparently, like, during live performances, he'd, like, just stop playing <laughs> when, when they were doing that song. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, talk about a dysfunctional you know, four, four groups, you know, four guys. Um, yeah. The Ramones were super, super dysfunctional. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh yeah. They didn't even Johnny and, and Joey didn't even talk the last 15 years of their existence. Wow. At all. You know, it, it well, it's too bad. It became a job. Obviously it was, <laughs> you know, they weren't dumb. They weren't going to throw it down the tubes. No. Were willing to, to, get past that to at least keep going um yeah i i can remember hearing some interviews where it talked about their early uh, cbgb days and it said they were like a little four-man army only they were really like you know dysfunctional and arguing and all the time no oh, yeah over there yeah. you know and yeah uh, it's just you know it's it's a shame that uh and of course, Dee Dee, you know, wrote these great songs. Um, and then he eventually succumbed to, well, I guess, did he die from an overdose? I think yeah, yeah, he did. did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's really too bad because he was kind of like the punk rock writer premiere, you know, especially the stuff he did with Johnny Thunders. But, you know, I was into that stuff when it first came out as well as, 60s stuff as well as british stuff um so there was a lot of stuff that kind of went into room nine and then the love battery mm -hmm. and everything else i um i just didn't feel as comfortable ripping off led zeppelin until i was in vaporland i think <laughs> so okay we, we just did a very like well a 30 minute roundabout here to get back into your 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 you know, biography. <laughs> um, and that's fine. We might do another one or two or whatever. We'll just see how it goes. Um, so love battery. So you, you went from, uh, the, 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 the almost actually not almost the, the new wave psych rock new wave, I guess of, of, uh, you know, room Um, and then at some point things kind of fell apart because, things were changing you were changing everything was changing oh yeah you know it was really fun but you know once nirvana got big 
uh, and I know this is true for half the bands, we got signed to a major label and then just faded away because, you know, we should have, with hindsight, you know, we should have stayed uh, indie mm -hmm. and just stuck to, uh, you know, sub pop or something. And, uh, but man, it, you know, when Nirvana hit, I mean, number one, you're always influenced by the people you know anyway. And, you know, we played with Nirvana. I've been to millions of their shows. And um, when they got big, you think, oh, I know these guys. I could do it too, you know? Right. <laughs> and, well, frankly, no, I couldn't. <laughs> so to me, that that's, that's really fascinating because I think it's a mindset that it's humans we fall into really easily, which is if somebody else does it, I can do it too. Yeah. And the reality is the majority of people who actually make it don't fucking know that they're making it. Absolutely. You, you know, know and, and that's definitely there. true with, with Kurt, right? Like he Yeah. Or actually all of them, you know. Yeah. Um although I, I, I do believe that that, you know, in, in later years anyway, like Dave Grohl, I think he had something in his head, like he knew. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think he was the only one who actually did know, right? Yeah. Yeah, and he was ready to take advantage of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, obviously Kurt was horrified by it all. Um, right. After after the initial rush. Uh, but uh, holy cow! You know, could you? I I think I think back about it, and I mean, could you imagine like trying to go out somewhere to a restaurant and whatever, and not being recognized and being mobbed you know right. um, like the Beatles or something I mean I, you know when I was young I wanted to be the Beatles too <laughs> but, <laughs> right you know I didn't know those guys you know I to me they were from Liverpool might as well have been Mars you yeah. know so yeah. um it's quite a different perspective when someone who's in the same scene and someone who you've actually played with and and know from going to parties and stuff Right. Um, when they when they make it, it just it, anyway, it was like this collective. Uh, just this huge, I want to say, like ego balloon <laughs> that we right. all just like, all right, we're going to take advantage <laughs> of it. And, and we you know, the thing is, is that Sub Pop went, got off, got big like it did because there was a real authenticity, authenticity there, right? And the authenticity really, really got lost once you had people, these record labels from LA and New York, absolutely starting to throw big money around. You know, there's there's nothing worse for a, for a band that maybe has been recording an eight track and sixteen track basement studios be thrown into like some you know, international studio that, uh, you know, you don't really know what you're doing. It, it probably right. would have benefited better to do a more, few more records in the 16 track studio or something. Absolutely. You know, and, and one thing, actually, I, you brought up a bunch of things, but um, the first one I'm going to tackle is that need for bands to say like, hey, okay, we've got this great sound. Everything is great. 
but suddenly we've got like you know a 32 track studio and we've got access to you know five and a half million dollars of equipment and so you know let's create like you know a, a wagner opera right <laughs> i mean the, the biggest case in point that i can think of is you know guns and roses when they did their their double ep like jack off fest right <laughs> it's like uh, okay they still dude. had hits like november rain was yeah exactly like the first and, album they're great songs <laughs> but a totally different band yeah you know and, you know if they hadn't had the following from the other album i couldn't have seen that really going anywhere no there's no uh, way no way because yeah. the, the 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 heavy metal ballad was long dead by 93 yeah right. oh my god so you know the fact that and actually almost every song off of those two albums that they released as radio hits um were you know heavy metal ballads basically yeah. so um it was either a lot of money that was dumped in which i'm sure there was or um yeah the, the people who were just like oh i remember what they used to sound like so this is fine yeah. you know I'll listen to it um and there's know, a lot of that too music fans are you know we're fickle <laughs> you, know? you know what's funny is uh when i we we kind of had a house that behind the rainbow tavern it was the room nine house because right i lived there and then scott bogan lived there we practiced in the basement we had lots of parties and one day we uh we're heading out the door and of course uh on on our front steps was um oh gosh what's the name of the guy who did i put a spell on you um oh my god i should totally know this but i don't yeah i i want screaming jay hawkins screaming jay hawkins yeah. uh yeah he was there and he saw our guitars he actually had to get up to so we could get out of our house mm -hmm. but he had been he was doing an interview on the stoop for some magazine and he was playing at the rainbow mm -hmm. and uh his advice was play hungry <laughs> and and i think about that it's true you have to when you start to relax and and think you got it made uh that that you know part of the reason that made grunge so accessible was that desperation in the music and there was right. a lot of that desperation kind of like faded away once these bands got in the huge studios and all the big big money and stuff um you know uh well absolutely you know it, it it's it's like you know hollywood when they take an idea um from like some you know somebody like jim thompson for example right and they take that idea and they they hollywoodize it yeah so it's kind of there but not entirely you know like a lot of the bands um um well the one that always comes to my mind is blood circus right i i love those guys and i, oh, I thought yeah. they were way underrated like it was ridiculous um and actually i've got one of them coming on uh hold on tomorrow i had to look up on my whiteboard um you know and and to me it's just interesting Right, they were a little bit older, a little bit tougher, a little bit, you know. I mean, they lived in Georgetown when Georgetown was, you know, might as well have been Tacoma, right? <laughs> it was the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Um, you know, there was like 
Jules Mays and and actually I think that was it. Oh, the George Sham Tavern, right? So I mean, there was nothing there at all, you know. Yeah. Um. Anyway, sorry, I I, I totally that, got off off topic there. there. A, you know, there there really weren't many apartment buildings in either. There were a lot of people no. were just living in like a, the top floor of an old business or something. Yeah, you know? Exactly, exactly. And if I had an apartment, I never actually moved into it. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I did that a lot in the early. Well, late eighties, early nineties. Um, so I had this place, and and uh, it was exactly that. It was on top of of a, I want to say it was a a motorcycle repair place, but <laughs> I could be wrong. Um, but it was just this huge, like thousand square feet of concrete. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I was like, I can totally change this, and and then I probably got sober and went, no, oh, no, no, you can't. <laughs> you know, like give the money, you know, give it up. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Just you're not going to change this into anything livable. Um, One toilet right in the middle, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. And I did the same thing in Pioneer Square right around the same time. Um, you know, like 2,500 square feet of what I thought at the time pristine, um, you know, loft space. Mm -hmm. um, and then went in like two days later and went, no, fuck, it's going to cost me like 10 grand, you know, in... in you know, in early nineties money, <laughs> you know, to make this livable. Um, so it was like, I'd, I'd rather just swallow the, the 700 bucks deposit I made and just not do this, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, anyway, you know, I can remember room nine, a lot of our shows were like warehouse parties uh, where people, they would have us play and have a party to make their rent for their, mm -hmm. you know, extravagant, uh, kind of warehouse loft living situation uh and uh so that was a lot more common you know back then oh uh, definitely of course and uh a lot more old buildings that people were just happy to have people move in and make some income right yeah yeah i lived in a few places where meeting with the manager went something like this you have the money yes now I have to say this: this is not a livable situation. <laughs> you're like, uh huh, yeah, and then you move in, and you know, and, and you know, suddenly you're, you're taking beds and shit up the elevator, you know, and of course they look the other way. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, at least twice that happened to me. You know, just like random, random fucking places in Pioneer Square. Huh? You know, yeah, um. And a couple of them were even like not even advertised. It was just, you know, you find out who the owner of the building is. Hey, that, you know, that t second floor looks like it's empty. Do you want to rent it? Yeah. Sure, of course. <laughs> you know, we live in a totally different world now, buddy. Oh, well, Seattle. Yeah. It's uh, nowadays. If there's any building that the, the, they need tenants for, they tear it down and. and... Yeah. Put up condos. Yeah. Well, I mean, the entire soul of the city, it's been happening for at least 20 years now, but it, it accelerates every year. Yeah. Um, the, the whole thing about, um, you know, it started in the early mid 90s, I guess, is, you know, retail on the ground floor, you know, like four or five or 10 or 20, you know, stories of apartments above. Mm. And it's so tired and sad. Like all of it, 
You know, I mean, it looks like shit. Aesthetically, it's it's very displeasing. <laughs> um, but it it's also just like, okay, do we do we all really want you know a Starbucks and you know the the you know first floor of our apartment building sure, on every corner? Yeah, the fuck. Well, when, <laughs> here's yeah. a funny story, Ron. So when I lived briefly in 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 Tokyo, and and when I first moved there there was one Starbucks in the entire city of Tokyo. And I used to actually go out of my way um, because believe it or not, the, the, the one thing the Japanese do very, 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 very poorly is coffee. Right. You, you didn't get enough of the coffee boss out of the machines. I love, I love those. <laughs> but when I wanted like a hot cup of coffee or, or, a, or a drink. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, they, they, uh, we could probably talk for three hours about the bars in Tokyo, but <laughs> anyway, so there was one, um, almost exactly a year later, there were 438. And now I think it's something wow. like 14,000. Like, I mean, it just like there, uh, um, you know, talk, talk about the, you know, the first Seattle band to make it, it was Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, really? Yeah, um, the first Seattle brand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's incredible, you know. And then you know, Microsoft, Amazon. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible the what's come out of this place, and it's uh, you know obviously the ground is very fertile for yeah. for the entrepreneurship that's come out out of here, but uh, at the same time it's taken over i mean especially amazon when they started moving in down uh, around east lake and the and mm -hmm. uh oh what's that street the um oh crap anyway that that one part of the south lake union area right. yeah i you know you've been to my house i live on 10th avenue up mm -hmm. on capitol hill the amount of dump trucks that go by my house and they still do but back about five years ago six years ago is even worse it, it like really it, it like quadrupled and uh all of a sudden you know when i first moved into my house i could actually talk to people in front of the house not have to yell but uh nowadays i if i'm out there and uh, during in, in rush hour it's not so bad during covid i just don't I, let's go somewhere else and talk there's no way we're going to hear each other right you know um and so even that uh that growth even though it was in a part of town that seems to be quite disconnected from where i lived actually affected the whole city you know just from all Absolutely. the stuff going in and out of there and all the traffic revisions they had to do and uh, that just doesn't that hasn't seemed to end no it doesn't and i i, I actually find it i'm going to say sad i was looking for the right adjectives but um that area uh, cascade well oh, yeah. used to be known as cascade um you know that was by far the cheapest part of of you know inner seattle you could live in yeah you know um i remember in in and it was fairly late, like 90, 
95-ish, maybe 96, somewhere in there. Um, I rented a place just off, off East Lake um, or, or whatever it becomes as it winds through downtown. I, I always get it confused. But anyway, um, it was like a 1,200 square foot studio, right? It was basically a loft space, like this giant space. Um, and I think I paid four seventy five. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's crazy the way that this, you know, and it's not just Seattle, you know. Um, yeah, any big, big growing city. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but it's, you know, I remember when it used to be, oh, I want to live in, in San Francisco, but oh, the, the, <laughs> price of, the price of living there is just too much. And now Seattle's equal, if maybe even a little more so. Well, it's funny. So both cities are, 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 you know, slowly dropping their housing prices. Or, I'm sorry, rentals, right? Because mm -hmm. housing prices keep going up in both cities, but yeah. rentals are, are slowly dropping. Um, they're dropping a little bit faster in San Francisco. So we might reach equilibrium, you know, in a few months. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's crazy. You know, um, I, I actually moved into this a couple of years ago, um, right around the corner from a place I lived in mid nineties, give or take. And I was paying literally 15,000% more than what I'm sorry, 1500% more <laughs> than I was before. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, apparently that's where we are. Yeah, yeah. It, it just you know, and to for to be like you know to be a band in Seattle in the eighties, we all really just had these jobs, service jobs, you know, these crappy jobs that didn't pay that much, but we were able to, you know, pay the rent, uh, maybe buy a new instrument every once in a while, and right. Like, go in on a practice space somewhere, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and still go out and drink beer five to five nights a week, you know, right. It was always someplace that had dollar pitchers or some, some, that's right. You know, and that was the place where everyone was, where all the musicians were. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, that I don't, that's just not possible anymore. No, it's not. It's not. Um, I used to, um, well, you know, go out as, as most, most humans have done at some point in their life. Um, and I remember when a $20 bar tab was like, holy shit. Like I, I, I've had way too much. Like I have to go home. Right. Um, no, a 20, $20 bar tab is like, okay, well, I've got another three hours in this place, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah, the price of shit just keeps going up and up and up, and and uh, this is a great segue into the music industry again. Well, I got to tell you, you know, that's where a little bit of fame, and especially in this town, really fueled my alcoholism because right. I, the bars I love to hang out in, I could not pay for a drink. That's excellent. I, I'm sorry, it's excellent for back then. How's that? Oh yeah, back. <laughs> but I mean, I, uh, you know, I had pancreatitis 
before anybody else did. I, oh, I didn't, Jesus, no dude. one heard what it was. And I was, you know, I was still drinking at the Comet back then. And uh, I didn't, even, it was just uh, obviously uh, when I look back on it, I really had, it wasn't just, you know, drugs. It was alcohol and everything. I right. just, especially there at one point when we, put out a couple albums on sub pop i didn't have to work anymore mm-hmm. and that was the death knell of my inner organs and uh having any semblance of a you know healthy lifestyle yeah so i you know if you don't mind i'd, I'd like to talk about that a little bit sure um because you're 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 very candid about this stuff and i, I know because we've talked about it you know, in the past. Um, and, you know, for the record, I am not a teetotaler. <laughs> However, um, both my biological clock, like getting older, and, well, I, th- that probably has most to do with it, to be perfectly honest. Um, I've slowed way down. I mean, like completely down. Um, again, not a teetotaler, but um, rather than than partaking simply to partake, it's more of I, I want to do it. Like w- when I want to do what I do it, right? Instead of like I have to do it. Well, you know, I I remember for myself, a lot of it had to do was that's where I socialized. Yeah, well, of course, where my friends were. And uh, that was one of the biggest stumbling blocks to getting sober was what am I going to do if I can't drink? But, you know, it got Without a doubt. where I can hang in a bar and have some Diet Cokes or whatever, or try not to rot my teeth with regular Cokes. And, <laughs> um, you know, it, um, it gets easier over time. And eventually, I'll tell you, though, uh, it's too bad I got sober so late in life, especially because I can I can play guitar so much better now. I mean, on stage especially, uh, I I'm so much such a better singer, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, it, it, you know, when when I first got sober, it was really hard to get up on stage, but then after about one or two songs. You're just going, oh, this is cool. I I went through two songs. I didn't make one mistake. You I know? love that. And before long, it becomes the impetus for uh, staying sober. Sure. For the rest of the... Plus, you know, I uh, I really don't miss the ups and downs my uh, my emotions used to take. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I've actually, gosh, I've been meditating a lot the last, especially the last year because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to meditate for half an hour, three times a day. And uh, boy, you know, I just, I have a different outlook on life. Uh, I, you know, I don't feel like uh, I've slowed down, but I, it's almost by choice because I don't feel, I, I don't feel, I, have, I don't have that need to go out and, and right. uh, kind of f- fill the hole that used to be there. Uh, I mean, I used to fill the hole with not only drugs and alcohol, but, you know, guitars and uh, musical gear and all that mm-hmm. stuff. 
So um, that's a lot more about living in the moment, you know. That that really is what got me through the last four years politically. No, absolutely. So you you say that your um, your hard skills, you know, your singing, your guitar playing, whatever, are are enhanced, which makes total sense. What about your creativity? Um, you know, that's a hard call because I used to depend depended a lot on weed. If because if I I used to smoke weed twenty four seven, all I wanted to do was play music. Mm -hmm. uh, that that meant I wouldn't answer the phone or anything. So actually, uh, it enhanced musically creativity. But uh, what I'm finding now is when I write music now. I don't feel this need to uh, edit it to death. Back in the day when I, mm. especially on weed, I was like, uh, I'd write a song and then I'd hate it the next minute. And I, and I well, I got to change this. I got to change that. I got to change this. You know, the guys in the lead battery used to get pissed off at me because we thought we had a song. I go, oh no, I brought in another part. <laughs> and, and the, the, you know, their, their thing was, don't fix it if it's not broken. <laughs> I said, right. I'm not going to, it's not broken, but I'm going to make it better. And it, you know, I was lucky enough that we had enough time to bang that stuff out. And, and I, it just, nowadays the creativity comes quicker and easier. Okay. I, I mean, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I think there's a, because I'm, I'm not so obsessed on, uh, on, on editing everything, you know, I, there's, um, I think things come out a little more authentic too. All right. So let, let's dive back into your biography. Um, another half an hour later, right on cue. Um, so there was a period of time where we obviously didn't talk about, but, you know, love battery, you know, you, you, um, you know, Many tours, many albums, blah, blah. Okay. So at some point you decided, um, I'm going to choose my words fairly carefully here. Um, you kind of want to do something a little bit different and, and Vaporland came out of that. Yeah. You know, it's really, again, if Love Battery, if we had still had someone who was willing to put out our records and wanted to help us tour and stuff, I think we would probably would have kept going. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think I really do believe that, um, for instance, if uh, we hadn't like been totally starstruck and gone with a major label that gave us all these this money, we had stuck around and done the indie route. We may even be still around, you know. I, I look at someone like Mud Honey or something, and um, they were—they really—I—I I don't know how they kept their heads through it all, but they—I uh, I really admire those guys. Yeah, for, definitely. Uh, still being around and still putting out records, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, it depends. Uh, it, it, you look for the opportunity. And Vaporland happened, you know, actually, it was going to just be a new incarnation of Love Battery. 
as it when it first started out right but, um it just ended up being its own animal it seemed it needed its own identity well yeah i mean the sound is similar but not definitely not the same yeah right yeah. um yeah so what's next for ron Knight? like well you know well before covid hit i was i am still playing in a band called um the purple strange and that's with kurt danielson and jack and dino and uh vern oh gosh what's vern's last name i can't remember along with jared stroud who jared stroud is this guy who uh like to write songs he had to had to uh use a guitar and drop d tuning because he didn't know any chord shapes so he wrote all these songs that were totally simple but mm -hmm. were really great because of that mm -hmm. and uh so we uh actually recorded that and i think there's a the process of putting that out on uh on uh, rare what oh, strange earth records mm -hmm. <laughs> strange earth records which is the people who put out vaporland right. and so i'm still with that and you know honestly uh before COVID hit, I was like going back and forth, emailing John Ponham and trying to get him to re-release some love battery stuff. Because, right. you know, um, if he had done that, you know, it's unfortunate. Because it, uh, because I was talking to Jonathan, we actually had a chance to re-release Dayglow mm -hmm. uh, with a, a, an outfit down in Portland. But, um, Anyway, if if we had re-released the Love Battery stuff, I mean, I, I could have imagined doing a tour behind it, you know? Uh, there's no doubt. There's yeah. No doubt. And I remember, um, I, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about this time period, but I remember talking about, um, you know, sending you stats and whatnot, you know, of, of number of downloads and whatnot, you know, of Love Battery stuff. <laughs> and... Um, and I, I talked about this quasi publicly has that with, uh, um, interview I did with, uh, Chris Hanzik actually, uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I didn't mention who it was, but, um, talking about like, cause I remember you sending me your, your sub pop statements and whatnot, you know? And then I was like, well, but you know, here, here's what's happening, you know, in the real world. And, um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't blame Sub Pop for any of that. I mean, honestly, I really well, don't. I mean, look at, that's the reason Neil Young and, and Bob Dylan sold their catalog because yeah, they're not. That's where the money is. You know? Yeah. It's a whole new, it's a whole new paradigm. Um, it's, uh, for them, that was the way to make money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, however, I, I, I do have a little bit of hope. Like, my kid, um, he's 19 now. Um, he has really not been interested in music at all up until, you know, fairly recently. Um, but for Christmas, I got him a, you know, a turntable and, you know, like what I like to call my, my punk rock starter pack, you know, <laughs> of, of vinyl. Um, and 
he's really into it and and all his friends are really into it you know and he's like oh, i want to buy i want to buy you know like especially vinyl it's sort of like you know eight track tapes for us right <laughs> like oh this weird antiquated format you know like whatever like he, he's totally into it um and so i i haven't given up on the record industry yet it, it's definitely going to change like dramatically dramatically you know um when when you know a million streams on spotify is worth you know like 120 bucks yeah i mean literally i yeah. got checked for mascap recently <laughs> it was yeah 120 bucks <laughs> yeah and I, I remember talking to you about that and you were like how many plays do we have and it was like you know like i think it was yeah it was like right right around the 1.2 million mark you know and um you know it having run a label and and um as you can attest to being a very failed band manager um yeah i mean i get it like it's it's really 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 hard to to um make any money you know like it's just it's really hard it is and uh i don't it, it just uh, and still you know the bands that really make it these days it's such a crapshoot you know other than mm -hmm. the people who are putting out the path um so you know which is another reason that uh you know you talked about where's the music like the late 60s or the, or the 80s you had reagan and there was the punk rock reaction in the 60s you had you know crosby stills nash and young singing ohio or you know um yeah and that was that's what got on the radio and the same with the you know the course in the 80s it was all on college radio but um it, it there's the music just doesn't seem to be able to have a real-time interaction with what's going on in the world right now you know and i i think i feel that i miss that i mean you can Mm -hmm. I think it's there probably. I just haven't seen it, you know? Well, I, I think because we, we all sit and like stare at our fucking phones 24 <laughs> seven. Um, and you know, for people of like my son's generation and, and younger, it's, it's, you know, 25, eight, right? Like, I mean, they're constantly on their fucking phones. Like I said, I just got an iPhone last three days i'm so fucking proud of you ron what's that i'm so fucking proud of you <laughs> you, you have entered it comes with it comes with uh with garage band on it right I, yeah oh actually this is the latest greatest and uh yeah i'm so i'm gonna look up and see how it actually has a ton of memory i i may be able to hook something up and use this as my recording uh interface i mean on... you can you can um garage band is interesting um Good. but if you really want to tweak shit, add like serious effects or whatnot or yeah. well, it's you know, probably not be something out now uh considering the processing power and the memory that uh <laughs> you know something you know like the the app of Pro Tools. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. 
Pro Tools is the most frustrating software on in the world. Like something very simple. Like I just want to copy this little thing and I want to move it over like half a you know half a second. Well, that's the trouble. Half a second is the hard part. But if you want to just copy it and then paste it, so you like. The drummer's really on for about 30 seconds, just right. that for the whole song. Um, it's great at. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I got pretty good at uh, Logic, which is what I used for the- uh, Cubase? Vaporland. Um, actually, Logic is different than Cubase. Oh, is it? Okay. I, yeah. I thought it was the same company. And, uh, so it, it was actually on a PC and, uh, you know, the PC by now is over 10 years old. It's, I, you know, I don't even go on the internet with it. Hmm. I got a new PC after my mom died. I took hers because I bought it for her just a, a few years ago. And it's actually got all sorts of great processing power and stuff. So I, I think what we should do, Ron, is I would love to come over and, and help you sort that out i think it would be a lot of fucking fun um because it doesn't take a whole lot you know um the uh what i'm recording all this on um i don't know less than two grand mm -hmm. um but you know i'm able to to um edit video in real time and whatnot that's, you know, right, so that's um, I can do that on the new iPhone too. Well, you can, but you're never going to get. Yeah, you're never going to get that that sound quality, right? It's like you probably have an analog mixing board somewhere in your studio, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're never going to match that. <laughs> you can come kind of close, and and with filters and whatnot, you might be able to pull it off. It, you know, um, true. It's. Uh... You know, I even watching like Jack and Dino work. He records to a Cubase, but he puts it all through the old Trident board from right. the 70s or whatever. And um, there's just a lot more subtlety to be had there. Right. And watching Jack work is, is fascinating because he's like, he does his stuff and then he puts on his huge glasses to like look at the screen he's like okay you know? oh, man, and then just like mix his shit around and okay that sounds awesome it down. And i love it he's developed this uh process where he edits as he records yeah so you you do a guitar part and he goes oh well oh you screwed up there well let's take a little bit out of this other guitar part and just put it in there and oh I don't have to redo it. Oh, good. You know, as a musician, you get kind of lazy. Uh, yeah, I, I think he just hears it, like yeah, in in not even real time, like like pre real time. Well, he's been doing it so long, and uh, you know, it's it's great to watch someone who's just mastered. Oh yeah, yeah, like that. It was you know like when I um, and again. This is one of those things I I didn't really want to get into, but here we go. Um, when I watched him record, you know, you in, in that third or fourth incarnation of Sky Crows Mary, whatever the fuck it was. Um, and I remember, like, as I was walking into the studio and I was told by 
somebody who will not be maimed. You can't come in because Jack is like, unless you're in the band, you don't come in. <laughs> and what I said was, well, fuck you. I'm paying for it. I'm coming inside. <laughs> like, end of story. And there was some pushback. And then I said, well, tell Jack I actually have the check to pay him. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, anyway... Um, and, and it wasn't that bad. I'm, I'm actually exaggerating a little bit. Oh, but... I mean, the, well, Jack himself doesn't care as long as you're quiet. Oh, he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but it, it's funny you mentioned that because that was the whole thing. Like, I, I've been at, you know, a, a fairly large handful of recording sessions. But when I was in, you know, in Dino's studio, I was like, like I didn't say a word, like nothing. I just watched. Well, you know what's great is even if it if it's like bedlam behind him, he still like focuses in. Oh yeah, yeah. just gets it done. And uh, oh yeah, wow! Talk about uh, going through the ringer with that particular band experience. Well, I mean, we can talk about it. I. I... I want to be a little bit careful just because. Oh, I think look, I think it's better to let it go. You know, they're back in Jack's studio. No, I know. I know. And, and this is like the third album since. Yeah. No, I know. It's, uh, um, and I plan on having Kevin on um, at yeah. some point just because. Because I think he has a really interesting story. You know, um, he's one of, I mean, those say it right out front he's one of like two black dudes to to be part of the grunge explosion in seattle <laughs> right i mean so he's got a super fascinating story and and he's he's a, a incredibly intelligent and nice dude oh yeah i it was you know that's the thing i miss working with kevin and uh in love battery in general i i'm so proud of our back catalog yeah, you should be. Uh, you know, if I had a, like I said, if, if if there was somewhere, you know, again, it, it's the reason that uh, Purple Strange took off like it did is because uh, Vern, who's the drummer, actually has a studio and Jack mm -hmm. records there. And Jack was recording our, our sessions and uh, he goes, oh, do you mind? I've got a good, an idea for a guitar part here. And I go, oh, yeah, go for it. And next thing you know, he's playing with it. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, the thing is, nowadays, for a band to get that kind of momentum going, you have to have uh, kind of that stuff waiting in the wings. You know, if you, if you write a, like 10 songs, you got to know that they'll be recorded and eventually released. Right. It's really hard to, to get... Um, to get all fired up just to play in the basement and great see the light of day i mean i i love that doing too doing that too jamming with people is, is mm -hmm. great of course since covid it's it's been almost non-existent right know? when is the last time you played live oh god new year's not this this one but the right. one, before. one before yeah and that was vaporland no, that was the Purple Strange and Down with People. Oh, down! I, I totally forgot about Down with People, yeah. and I, I apologize. I have never seen Down with People live. So. Oh, that's okay. You know what's great though, because of that performance, uh, J 
Jack just flipped over down with people and he's all ready to record us. Oh, that's awesome. You know, and, uh, so of course everything got cold, put on hold. And then my Katie got sick and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm okay with this lapse in, uh, you know, availability of getting that stuff done. Cause I had a really, I, I'm just getting, uh, the estate. Like I had to hire a CPA and a lawyer and, and get the estate worked out. It's actually big enough. I'm going to inherit a house and some others, you know, it's, mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's a kind of a big deal. And, uh, it, it took, all last year to kind of like work everything out and not pull my hair out over it. And uh, so it was actually a, a welcome reprieve. Right. From music. But now that like tomorrow, the, the CPA is going to drop by the tax forms and everything and have me sign them. Mm -hmm. And uh, that'll signal the end. I'm hoping that, you know, that uh, the COVID thing will start to uh, unravel and, and become less of an issue and uh, can actually start jamming with people. Uh, you know, it's uh, not that if you have a bunch of guys willing to get in the same room, they'll do it. But mm -hmm. I haven't been too uh, keen on it because Katie's still on chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. Last thing she needs is for me to bring home COVID and give it. To <laughs> right. Um, you know, so I've been really careful, you know, and yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, My I mean, um, actually, since we last talked, I've, I've gone through divorce number two oh. and I'm on to, you know, relationship number, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, fast headed towards marriage, mind you. So there's that. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's weird to to not see people the way that you normally see them, right? Um, there's a lot of this. I've been doing a lot of, yeah. I mean, and not just podcasts, just like you know, weird Zoom meetings with with people. Zoom has become the new normal. It has, it has. You know, uh, I mentioned before, I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous, and Zoom has totally kept the whole thing alive. Oh, absolutely. And and I have a, a few people who are, you know, sponsors who are, I mean, religiously, probably 10 hours a day, they're on Zoom, yeah. right? Just to, you know, to talk to, to their, their uh, um, sponsees, is that what you would call it? Yeah. Whatever it is. Um, so yeah, no, I, it, it's, it's, it's a very valuable tool. Um, but it's not... Um, hundred percent. I mean, it's close, but oh, it's yeah. not hundred uh, percent. You know, the kind of, uh, no, you, you, you really get a, you, you know, I miss that physical interaction, hugging people and, and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, uh, that's, I think that's a basic human need. <laughs> no, there's no doubt, yeah. you know, um, I, like I said, you know, like, so I've, I've gone through my divorce and whatever it was for the best. Um, and then, you know, I, I met this met, I'm sorry. I've known her for 30 something years, but, 
um, reconnected. How's that? And it was, it, it's beautiful. Like I love the fuck out of it. That's cool. And I think without that, yeah, this would be really fucking hard. I mean, like really fucking hard. Well, um, it, it was when COVID first hit, that's Katie had a, um, oh, geez, what do you call it? Uh, a seizure. One. Oh, wow. I called 911. And, you know, I I thought I lost there. I've never experienced someone having a seizure, being totally unresponsible, responsive, their eyes open and not being able to talk back to you, you know? And uh, anyway, so she had an MRI done, she had a tumor. And um, I, the first, we went into the emergency room she stayed overnight, stayed in the hospital up at Swedish. The next mm-hmm. day I come in to see her. It was the first day they didn't allow people to visit the hospital. Dude. You know, oh, it, that's hard. Oh, it was really tough. The only time I got to see her was before and, before and after the operations. There would be a little, mm-hmm. you know, they'd let me go in there. But, um, you know, we we had to depend on Zoom and, and calling each other all the time. Um, but, you know, it, through the crucible, we got a lot closer. And I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it. same thing with my mom passing away. Uh, I, I wasn't able to visit her for the last two months. Oh, that's hard. Uh, except when I took her to the hospital because she had these problems. She actually died of an undiagnosed issue. She had a, a blood clot in her lungs. And, and, oh, wow. And uh, a pulmonary ambulism. Right. And it had gotten undiagnosed for, for years. And um, so the last time I got to hang out with her, I took her to the emergency room and they did let her go the next, you know, that night when they found out she didn't have COVID and all that stuff. Right. Now we really, she had been, um, she was in the midst of some very heavy duty dementia. Uh, it's called Lewy body dementia that people get when oh, they yeah. Parkinson's and stuff. But we really bonded that night. And then the next week she went into the emergency room. They wouldn't let me in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then they only let me visit her in the hospital room when she was on hospice. So it was really a trip, you know, but I, I got to look at it as uh, at least she was 94 and uh, oh. most people don't live that long. No, they don't. And uh, so, you know, it, I really, it's been uh, all I can say. I'm so fucking happy. I'm, clean and sober to yeah no kidding shit. it makes it much easier and having a support group uh yeah. people who are willing to listen to, to to stuff you know um well yeah i mean i i i know how close you were with your mom yeah. um and i you know i mean we're all reaching that point where it's going to happen sooner rather than later right yeah. Um, 
and I've had a few scares on, well, on the dad side, not, not the mom side, at least not yet. Um, and I, I think I've, I've kind of, I've reached a point of Zen, I think. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's going to happen. Um, and I think some of it came from me recognizing my, my own mortality, mm-hmm. you know, and I used to be terrified of it and I'm not at all anymore. I'm just, I'm not scared. Well, you know, uh, my dad died uh, around 2005 and my sister died of cancer two years after that. Mm-hmm. Me and my mom were the only ones left. Right. Um, and she kind of really lost it after my sister died. That's when I had to quit my job and really actually start looking after her. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this feeling that we were the two survivors of the family and the only other family I have is up in Canada, a couple of cousins and an aunt. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, you know, it felt like we were the two survivors on a, on a desert island. We had to take care of each other. At least I had to take care of her and it was, it was good. It was, uh, you know, I, I'm just glad that, uh, I, I was able to do what I was able to do those last few years. And, uh, you know, now Katie's down in Oregon because her dad, he's not that old. He's, he's right around 70. And, mm-hmm. uh, but he's been fighting cancer. And now all those years of radiation and shit, all this stuff is starting to happen to his body from the result of stuff, yeah. like, you know. And, uh, you know, frankly, it's, it's uh, kind of, it, you know, it's it's almost like just for one thing after another, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, so it it, it it's kind of interesting, and, and and this is not a weird conspiracy theory. Trust me, I've known more people who have been perfectly healthy, or at least you know seem to be perfectly healthy, and they go in and they get a you know a cancer diagnosis, and mm-hmm. you know three months, six months, whatever later they're dead and my feeling on that um totally not scientific just you know from from my gut is once people know they're going to die or at least they they fear they're going to die they just die like it's taking away any reason to to continue to live right if you if you think you're going to die yeah well then who the fuck cares you know, and it, it's sad to watch. You know, I, I've watched some some extraordinarily strong humans go through that, and you know, people that just you know weeks before you know I'd been out with and you know done strenuous things. You know, like I you know, and then they're dead. Yeah. You know, it's the human mind. I think has has a lot. Um, a lot more to do with our our state of physical being than people get a credit for. Oh, absolutely. You There's know. No doubt. Uh, you know, I've got I've really been getting into the spiritual side of things lately because that's part of the AA program. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've uh, 
I've found that, uh, well, I'm just not as stressed out as I used to be. And uh, I feel a lot better, you know? Um, well, that's good. Yeah. Try to exercise every day. And What do you do for exercise? Well, lately I've been riding uh, this stationary bike I have, but I was going out and walking uh, when the weather was a little warmer. <laughs> right. Well, but you're you're in that weird spot where you're you're downhill or uphill. <laughs> so, you know, it's like you don't want to walk all the way down to Cornish or whatnot, because then you have to walk back up that fucking hill. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I would do this big long loop around uh, Volunteer Park and then around the Lakeview Cemetery. Oh, okay. And then back home. And uh it usually took me about thirty-five minutes or so. But That's yeah. Bad. So actually, all the climbing was right at the beginning, and it wasn't that bad. So it, it, the very end was kind of the cakewalk. Yeah, you have stairs in front of your house, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I I didn't mean to give anything weird away. Just it's that that part of Capitol Hill, like there's a, a lot of those weird little houses. Like it, it seems like they just crammed them all together, like maybe in the 30s or 40s or whatever it's like you know so a lot of them are like up these steep little you know um stair climbs you know to get oh to my God, yeah especially off uh, like east lake and uh i think it's uh like lake view drive is it yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's that's crazy that's like san francisco almost yeah no th there's a lot of that um Actually, a good friend of mine who was a, a cab driver in the, the late 80s or whatnot, the only place he's ever been mugged was right down that road. Because oh there's nothing there, right? I mean, all the way from, you know, the beginning, all the way to the U District. I mean, there's nothing. Do you remember the, um, there was a, a row of uh, um, condos there and the, the earth gave way and they, the whole building started sliding down. Oh, that's right. That yeah. yeah. You know, it's, I guess it's not a good place to build right there. No, 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 it's not. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and to be honest, building anything over about 10 stories in Seattle is probably dumb as fuck. Yeah. yeah. Right. Hearing about the big ones on its way. Yeah, it'll eventually happen. Now, hopefully, or, or not, hopefully, you and I will be long be dead when it happens, but it could happen anytime. Yeah. Well, the one at, what was it, 99 or 2000? That was a, that was a scary one. The Nisqually? I, I think that's what it was. You know, through the older buildings. I mean, yeah, it, it, it completely took down the, the Phoenix Underground, which sucked because I, I, that was a great space, you uh -huh. know. Um, and I lived half a block down the street, so I was there all the time. I loved it. Um, I'd even go into the Phoenix Underground. I'm sorry, yeah, the Underground, where they had um, all of the, the, the cover bands playing. You know, oh. like Super Diamond and, and uh, um, oh God, Hit Explosion. You know, like all of those bands that all they did was cover like early 80s songs. Sure. <laughs> it was so bad um but you know if if you went upstairs 
you had like a like an an hour hour and a half window before you know whatever national touring band was going to play right so you could just sit in this huge room pretty much by yourself you know drink hang out smoke um which you couldn't you can't do now um so that that was a lot of fun um but honestly most of the people who went there were fucking douchebags so it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't really matter well, um and i'm sorry i gotta kind of start wrapping it up hey no that's fine let's let's go ahead and start doing that yeah is there anything you wanted to talk about before we yeah um and god damn it ron now you've put me into edit mode um <laughs> what, what i hate editing more than anything um and that was my cue to remember to edit all of this um if there's anything you want to talk to in regards to upcoming stuff or whatever like well, now's the time to go the purple strange mm -hmm. and, uh, of course once covid's over i'm gonna definitely take up jack on the uh, invitation to record down with people because mm -hmm. those are those are two my two oldest friends scott bogan who was in room nine with me scott vanderpool who started wow. out in room nine and then went down to olympia and and Scott Vanderpool was a conduit for a lot of the people down in Olympia coming yeah. up to Seattle. That's I met uh, Bruce Pavitt through Scott Vanderpool, and um, so we we you know we we I thought that we have some really great songs, and uh, I did record them on my uh, computer when I first got my computer. Mm -hmm. it was the first batch of stuff I ever tried to record. And um, besides, if, if Jack's willing to re-record something you did long ago, I, I would do it anyway. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to that. And frankly, you know, it, who knows? I, I, I'm very open to what, to what looks promising. Mm -hmm. That includes Love Battery and everything. Like I said, if, if Sub Pop if that if the reissues hadn't kind of fizzled out, um, I really you know we had a chance. This Booker from Europe wanted us to come over there and stuff. But I just go you know without without some kind of new product or something, mm -hmm. it just seems uh, it just doesn't seem worth it. And uh, so yeah, well, I mean, unless you have the right guarantees, right? Which yeah yeah, those I mean, are hard to get. I'm not. I don't know if I'm willing to go over there and not come come, come back with money, you know. Well, you yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah, you know, back in the days, I didn't mind going over there just to if I knew I could eat and sleep in a you know <laughs> a nice place. Well, not even a nice place, but the the fact is, is uh, those days I I want to be I, I I'm not up for sleeping on people's floors anymore. No, fuck no, no, no. no. I mean, I I don't even sleep on my own floor, <laughs> much less somebody else's. I mean, that was, I remember that was the main, that was like the dream when Love Barry first started, was just jumping in a van and going across the country and sleeping in the van on floors, whatever. And that happened. Um, and then, 
you know, I, it's so funny because that was my dream. And then Nirvana hit and all of a sudden, like everything just got blown out of the water proportion wise. And uh, that very simple dream, that very indie uh, dream just kind of got blown out of the water by all this attention on Seattle. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Ron, I have a feeling we could probably talk for another like two hours, but I'm oh, absolutely, go. maybe we could. You know, it's good to see you, Glenn. Oh, likewise. Like, yeah. I mean, we should we should get coffee soon. Like once, well, I'm sorry, once we actually can do that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, um, I I do remember. The, I I think it was the last time I saw you was at Lost Lake, and and uh, drinking the coffee there was like. Oh my god, it was like fucking rocket fuel. Oh yeah. Oh, I remember like god. I was like, I have to go outside and have a cigarette. Like I can't communicate. Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, it was. It was. Um anyway, um, let's wrap this up. Um, please give um Kurt my love, because I'm gonna have him on too, because cool. he's another super fascinating human. Oh my god, Kurt just has the greatest stories and he's an he's a very he's like an orator. Yeah, really uh, is able yeah. to keep stuff going. Yeah, um, and and Kevin as well. Like, yeah, um, because again, his 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 take on on all of that time period is is going to be a little bit different than, oh, than yeah. most people's. Oh my god, yeah, you know, you know, I, Kevin's so I, I'm really fortunate to have had a chance to play with such two great musicians. I, I call them my friends. I you know it's. Yeah. yeah, really, I'd love to play. Hopefully, we'll play soon. You know, we'll see what happens. No, I totally get that, man. Yeah. Hey, um, I'm gonna wrap this up. Anything else you want to say? Oh, uh, nah. <laughs> oh, come on. We love you, Cincinnati. Nothing like that. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, I all I can say is I'm looking forward and not backward because. I, things are going to get better, as Howard Jones said in the 80s. Howard Jones. Oh, my God. Okay. On that note, we, we have to, to go because now you got me spinning on Howard Jones. So. Yeah. All right, Ron. Hey, love you, brother. Be good. Love you too, Glenn. Cheers. Thank you.